Yes, God is with us. It's so good that you are with us. I mean, with this kind of weather. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for those of you who are online for tuning in. We're just really glad that we can share this time. But it is cold and it's, it's, uh, there's some dangerous weather out there. And so if you're ever in a place where it's not healthy for you, I want to remind you, we do have our online option if, if you need to check in that way. However, coming up, there is a time where we're really encouraging everybody to be present if you can. And that's in a few weeks, the first Sunday in February, February 4th, we are celebrating 60 years of Chapel Rock Christian Church, 60 years of God working through you and through uh, this congregation into the community, into the world, and uh, doing the work of Christ. Isn't that awesome? So we're going to celebrate that. There's going to be some special things that day we can't replicate online. So please choose to be here, especially the stuff that's going to be in the foyer, and there'll be some special things happening in the service you'll just want to be here for. Uh, there's also another uh, announcement that I was asked to make, uh, somebody that I have not met, um, but Jane McCassick, she passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, she was a longtime member of Chapel Rock, a longtime member of the staff, evidently, and tomorrow, between four and six, is her uh, funeral visitation right here, and at six o'clock is her uh, service. Uh, and Pastor Fred Rodkey will be leading that. He'll be officiating that. Uh, so just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. Will you go to the Lord with me as we prepare for his word? Father God, we thank you so much. It's a privilege to hear from you, to learn from you, to worship you. We thank you for the fact that while it's cold outside, we're warm in here and our hearts are warm by your presence. Lord, uh, pray that you will speak to us through your word and that your servant will not get in the way of your message. Uh, Lord God, bless us with your presence here today. May we not leave here unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the second week of a new series. Pastor Casey introduced the, the three-day stories. And uh, so last week we started with a story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. Today we're, we're going to another familiar story. And there's a three-day element that we're going to dig into a little bit. But this is a story that's probably very familiar to you. Even if you haven't read the Bible... Even if you haven't read the, this book of the Bible, my guess is our story today, which is found in Exodus 19, if you want to just go ahead and put your finger there in your Bible, it's, it's a story that you've probably heard of or more than likely in our culture seen. And it may have looked like this guy. Uh, this is Charlton Heston in The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's famous work. And uh, for the longest time, I, I just wondered, after seeing that a few times, have you noticed that all the women refer to him as Moses? <laughs> it's just kind of odd. And when I read the Bible, I don't get that anywhere. It's like there's, there's like extra syllables or something. It's, it's odd. And, and that's not the only thing. There are several things about the story they get right. But there are a lot of things about the story they didn't get quite right. And I think where we're going today isn't really covered in that story. So maybe, maybe you're not familiar with that one. Maybe you are. You might be familiar with this movie. 
Yeah, it's funny. In the last service, Charles and Heston got the bigger reaction. Interesting. I'm not going to point any fingers why that is. Just, you, you, I'll let you deduce. But the Prince of Egypt, this is DreamWorks, I think it's 1997, telling of the story. And then again, there are some things they get right about the story of Moses and uh, the slavery of the Israelites. And there are other things that, well, we're close or maybe not as much. But that's okay. I just want to point out, this is a familiar text. It's a familiar story. And there's a danger in a familiar story in that we can breeze by things. Important things that God wants to speak to us about. And we just miss them completely. And so I want, I want to invite you to, to go into this story with me with fresh eyes. To take it all in and to see what God has for us. Now, while you're getting into Exodus 19, let's, let's recap a little bit because we got a few hundred years between last week and this week we need to make up for. And I'm going to try to be a little bit more condensed than I was last, uh, the last time I went through this because I got a little too detailed and went a little long. So let's see what we can do. All right. So Abraham, we know that he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, but then God provided a different sacrifice. Well, you've got Isaac, and he has son. He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob was the son where the promise, or Abraham, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him, that he would be the father of many nations. Uh, that 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 continued to pass through Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel. He had a lot of sons. Uh, and they became the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes. But among them also was a man named Joseph. His other brothers didn't really like him, sold him into slavery to Egypt. And somehow or another, God works it out that as an adult, he winds up being the second most powerful man in the known world, saves them from a famine that's overcoming the entire world. As his family moved down to Egypt, their relationship is somewhat restored and then a few generations pass. A new pharaoh, which is the Egyptian word for king, takes power who does not remember Joseph. And the Israelites, one thing that they did really well was have children. And lots of children and lots of children. And Egypt got scared, so they said, you know what? We need to make them our servants. And they did. They, they made them slaves. And for 400 years, 400 years, the people of God, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham were born into slavery, lived as slaves, died as slaves. Until, you probably know this part, along comes the birth of a man named Moses. And at that time, Pharaoh was really trying to put an end to all the uh, people, all the Israelites being born. So he said, we got to kill all the baby boys, throw them into the Nile River. Well, the Nile River, they kind of obeyed. They put him in the Nile River and watched over the basket he was floating in to make sure that the crocodiles didn't get him, right? And made sure that the daughter of Pharaoh would find him. She chose to raise him. He was raised as, well, prince of Egypt. He had a world-class education. He was a leader of armies by the time he was 30. By the time he was 40, he was just incredible influence in the nation of Egypt. But 
He also saw his brothers and sisters enslaved. And when he was 40 years old, decided to do something about it. Wound up killing one of the slave masters. And he fled to Midian, where he became a shepherd for 40 years. D.L. Moody has this famous quote. I'll probably butcher it, but it's, you know, Moses spent 40 years thinking it was somebody. He spends the next 40 years of his life thinking he's nobody. And then God intervenes and shows him over the last 40 years of his life what God can do with nobody. And it's there, you know, God invites him through the burning bush to be his vessel to lead the people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And he does. There's so many ways he does this with his powerful hand. But he works through Moses, through ten plagues, takes a very stubborn, sinful king, King Pharaoh, and convinces him to let the people go. Unfortunately, a few days later, he says, oh, no, that was a mistake, comes after them, but God's got that covered. we got the whole parting of the Red Sea. The Israelite people pass through on dry land. I don't know if you noticed, we even sang a, a lyric about that. And then when the army came after them, the sea collapsed on them, and God assured their freedom. Well, now, just a little bit after that, the Israelites arrive at the mountain. And God wants to meet with Moses, and he wants to meet with the people. And so that's where we wind up today. So will you join me in Exodus 19? We're going to start in verse 3. Then Moses went up to God. He literally starts climbing up the mountain. Okay, that's going to be a theme. You might even keep count. He's going to get some exercise today. Okay, Moses went up the mountain, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said, This is what I want, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. Notice that word covenant? That's relationship language. See, this is not just a three-day story. This is a relationship story. God is proposing a relationship. And he's proposing an identity in that relationship go on just a little bit further so Moses went back and summoned the elders to the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak the people all responded together we will do everything the Lord has said so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord he climbs back up the mountain and says this is what they had to say they agreed so they, they're saying, hey, this sounds good. Yes, you are the one who carried us out of Egypt. Without you, there's no way we'd be here. You moved in ways we've never seen before. Sounds good. I think we need to remember they also don't know a whole lot about this relational God. The gods that they have experienced are the gods of Egypt. And those gods, well... They were fairly impersonal because, well, they weren't real. Uh, it, but 
the, the truth is, is that they, they had no expectation of what this would look like. There's no way they could have. Because to this point, they have not heard God speak themselves. God spoke to Moses. Moses delivered the message. But there's some other things I want you to notice. God is proposing that their role is going to change. Do you notice some familiar words? He says, you're going to be my chosen people. Talks about a holy nation, a royal priesthood. These people have been slaves. They don't know a time in their life they were anything but slaves. You know who determines what a slave's going to be? The slave master. And so God is saying, I got a much higher view of you. I got plans for you. So what are they going to do? Yes, sign me up. Sounds good. But they don't know how that's going to work. The interesting thing is, in the New Testament, we see these words used again. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, some very familiar words. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I really like the old King James, where it says, instead of God, God's special possession, it says a peculiar people. And you're thinking, peculiar? That's kind of weird. It, it's really not. Peculiar in Old English actually meant a people set apart by God. You would be God's special possession, set apart by God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That's, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you have given your life to Jesus, repented of your sin, been baptized into Christ, experienced the forgiveness of your sin and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, th this, this is you. This is you. You were set apart for this. To be God's chosen people. To represent him on earth. To point the way for others to know him as their heavenly father. Jesus as the Lord and Savior. The spirit is God dwelling within us. But we might be asking the same question that the Israelites did. How can we live as God's people set apart for his good purpose? How, how is that even possible? What does that look like? Well, the, the first answer is Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him. But that may be getting ahead of the game for some of you. So let's, let's start to walk through this a little bit. And what's interesting is that God gives us these hints as we dig through this text in Exodus, and it points forward to the New Testament as well. The first thing is remember and reflect. Do you notice that in verse 4 of Exodus 19, God specifically calls attention to what he did for the people? You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's, eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Like, remember what I did. And I did it for you. There's no way that these men and women could have saved themselves. They were slaves. And the entire nation of Egypt was there to put them in their place until God took a stand and said, No, no, no. These are my children. I am their father. And I am declaring them free. Isn't that interesting that sometimes God 
says things and does things that we, we just can't do for ourselves. And sometimes we can't even see them until after they happen. I wonder if until this point, the people of Israel have even slowed down to process all the amazing things they saw. From the ten plagues to before they left, they asked their neighbors, the Egyptians, hey, could we have some gold? <laughs> could we have some supplies for the road? And guess what? The people were so ready to be rid of them, they gave it to them. Sometimes God moves in our life in ways that we, we can't even process until later. We need to slow down and remember and reflect on the goodness of God and how he's worked in our lives. Moses, later in the book of Exodus, and some of you may have read this story, you may be familiar with it. If not, keep reading. Don't stop today. Moses is up on the mountain again, and he, he asks God, he says, hey, before I leave, show me your glory. He's basically saying, show me what you look like. I want to see your face. And God says, nobody can look upon me that way and live. However, I'll do this for you, Moses. I'm going to set you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by you. And as I do, I'm going to cover your face so you can't see me, and then after I'm past you, I'm going to move my hand, and then you can see me from behind. In the same way, that's a lot of times how God shows up in our life. We may be praying about things that are just a struggle. We may be just pleading, Lord, would you show up in this way? And then somehow, whatever the challenge is, whether it's a relationship or a financial issue or something, somehow it becomes resolved, maybe in a way we didn't see. But then we look back, we can see God's fingerprints on it. We can see how God worked. It does us good to slow down and think about that. To think about how God has been working. We didn't even notice. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote a third of the New Testament, in these letters to the different churches, he did a, a great thing by setting an example of this. He starts almost every one of his letters. A couple exceptions, but most of them. He writes a prayer at the very beginning where he thanks God, the Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ for salvation, for grace, for his mercy. He thanks God for the church. He thanks God for the people that he's writing to and how God's showing up in their lives. He thanks God for even his own sufferings at times because God is working through them. Because he recognizes the blessings. He's decided to remember and reflect on them. Sometimes I'll have somebody come talk to me and they're just struggling. You know, one of the best things that we can do when we're struggling is to slow down and think beyond the struggle. There's an old song, hymn, that maybe you're familiar with. I know I am. But it's, it's not one we sing very often, but it's so helpful. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. That's what God is asking the Israelites to do. And honestly, that's what we need to do. We need to think about how God has already been active in our life so we can continue to respond and live for him and with him. Remembering and reflecting is the first step in a preparation process. So that's the next thing we need to do is we need to prepare ourselves to meet with God. 
In Exodus 19, verse 10, God says this. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people. Moses is up on the mountain again. I want you to go back down the mountain and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Okay, yeah, I don't want them stinking. And be ready by the third day. Get that, be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. All the people. He's asking them to prepare. That word consecrate, it's, it, it seems like one of those big spiritual words, and it is. But it literally just means spiritual preparation. To set apart. To make holy. A lot of times we can make these things bigger than they are. We can act as though there's, there's, there's some sort of weird metaphysical thing happening here. Actually, spiritual preparation, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines are uber practical. You don't need to get in some weird posture and make weird noises and meditate on the side of it. No. Okay. God's actually being really practical with people. He knows who his audience is. They don't know about this whole idea of a relationship. So let's make it real simple. Wash your clothes. Check how you live for the next few days. Later in the, in the chapter, Moses adds something. He says, abstain from sexual relations for these three days. So God's giving very practical steps so that they can prepare to meet with him. The word consecrate, uh, kadas in Hebrew, it, it just literally means to set apart. The, he, the uh, Greek equivalent is hagias, and, and that word means holy, made pure. These, these words are, God knows that in and of ourselves, we are not capable of making ourselves holy. But he's inviting us to prepare to, to have this relationship with him. We see it spelled out even more clearly in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8. I love this passage of scripture. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's what he's inviting the people of Israel. Draw near and I will draw near to you. But he's, he doesn't stop there. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's like, don't don't just show up. Be prepared. He's already said, I'm going to make you such a special relationship. I want you to make it a special relationship too. Now, I, I see a lot of you sitting in pairs. You've got a special someone next to you. It might be your spouse. might be a friend. might be a child. You know, we have special days in our lives. Anniversaries, birthdays. Those are days that require preparation. Men, you know that anniversaries require preparation, right? Okay, just check it. You don't show up for those days without thinking it through, without preparing, whether it be a gift or some flowers or, or having a plan of how you're going to celebrate. You, you don't have other things on your calendar. That person is your agenda. God is saying, I, I want to be your agenda. 
And he's saying that to us too. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writes about, you know, we're to give up our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And we're called to do that as a living offering, as an act of worship. This means that everything you do, what you say, the way you live, your attitudes, your actions, all that is intended to be an act of worship. And I know we, we just sang some songs and a lot of people misunderstand worship and they think, well, that's what we did. We came here to worship. We did, but that is not the limit of worship. Colossians 3.23 says, everything you do, do it with all your heart as though you are doing it for the Lord and not for mankind. Back in Romans 12, Paul continues and he says, if you're going to be a living sacrifice, no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and in this way you will know God's good and perfect will for your life. Guys, we, we need to take this idea of preparation a lot more seriously than we do. We tend to be pretty laid back about this. But we do need to prepare for our relationship with Jesus, to meet with him regularly. I'm very blessed. I, I did both of my master's degrees at Hope International University. And there's this one professor, Dr. Jan Johnson, uh, writer and, and great teacher. She talks about spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. And she says this. She says, in them, we focus on the connecting, but God does the perfecting. We focus on the connecting, God does the perfecting. A lot of times people will approach spiritual practices as if we're somehow going to earn God's favor. I got bad news for you. You ain't that good. Neither am I. Our best works are filthy rags in the sight of God. However, God understands the value of living a life that shapes us to make space for him. To think like he thinks. To process things according to his will and his word. And so this is why spiritual practices are super important. I want to talk about a few of them. Some of them you guys are really familiar with. You've heard this stuff. But I, I want to touch on it. I hope you got one of these. I know Bibles, you, you can get them on your phone and everything, but there's something about a paper Bible. I, I love this. It's tangible, right? I want you to read it. But I want you to do more than read it. When you think of the Bible, stop thinking in terms of, I read my Bible. Think of Bible engagement. That's an important word. You want to engage this because this is a conversation. It's a message from God to you, but he wants you to respond to it. So don't just read it. Read it with intent. Read it as something that's going to shape your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Guess who does that renewing? It's the Holy Spirit. And by the way, he wrote this. He wrote it through over 40 different authors over uh, 1,500 years, but he wrote it. And he wants you to do more than just read it. He wants you to put it in your life in a way that it shapes you. Here's a good way to do this. We don't talk about this one very often, but boy, is it good and powerful. 
Memorize it. Memorize it. We, uh, back in November in the Inked series, Casey challenged us to memorize a passage of scripture from Colossians. We're not going to run a test, but just ask yourself, do you remember it? I was really humbled uh, a couple months ago as a staff. We do, we do like a check-in, what's everybody reading? Something Casey's been doing for a while. And, you know, I loved it. It's the first time I've been part of that meeting. And I wrote down everybody's books because I wanted to read them because I'm a nerd. I, I love reading. But one person said, I'm not reading anything. I'm like, what? Didn't you hear the assignment? And she said, no, I'm, I'm memorizing the book of James. That's six chapters, folks. She, she was memorizing the book of James. That was humbling. God took this very seriously when he gave us his word. Most of the history of the church didn't have this. They actually, if they wanted to keep God's word, they would have to memorize it. Because even if they had a written copy, they may not have been able to read and write it. So the practice of memorization is a beautiful one that will help you in your spiritual life. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You want a great memory tool? It's right here. You got one of these? This is usually where the men are like, no, I don't need one of those. This is my journal. Yes, I, I said it. I still have my man card and I got a journal and I use it. If you don't know anything else to journal, write down God's word. Write down a passage that spoke to you each day when you read it. And then take the next few lines and write it in your own words. How would you say this if you were telling somebody else? Then answer this question. What does that passage say about the way I'm living right now? What do I need to change? What do I need to do? What do I need to say in response to God? This is my journal, but this is a record of my conversations with my God. And while it's not audible, he shows up answering prayers that I write in this thing. And guess what? I write those things down. And it means so much to me. These spiritual practices are huge. You want something else that you want to write about in your journal? that you can pray about over using God's word. This is not just a bulletin. This is a prayer guide. Every event that takes place in this church is something you can pray about. It's an opportunity. Notice how practical these things are. Spiritual practices don't have to be weird. God wants to prepare your heart through just being intentional about discussing things with him. And if you don't know what to talk about, start with his word and work from there. There's that. Every time I move, that thing is... I'm sorry, guys. Another thing. Where did I set it? Do you remember when I was here the first time I preached? Do you remember what I, what I gave you? A little rock. All right. Which... Oh, I found it. I'm sorry, every time I move, that's rattling. 
Believe it or not, this is a spiritual practice. Why is a rock a spiritual practice? Because it reminds us of how God has moved in our life. The day that I gave that to you was the first day most of you met me. That wasn't what I was asking you to remember. I was asking you to remember that where God is present, there is hope. And I ask you to apply that rock to a place where you knew God had worked in your life. Where he gave you hope. We see that all throughout the Old Testament, this practice of picking up a stone to remind us that God has been working. These are ways to prepare ourselves for what God is doing. Because when we don't do that, we quickly forget that God is moving. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had forgotten some of the things that God had said. And so when the serpent twists God's words, you will not surely die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. They were already like him. And they forgot. And they, they began to fear that they were missing out. We have to be careful. Because decisions made in fear will make you cower. But decisions made in faith reveal God's power. But in order to have faith, we need to remember. And we remember by preparing our heart and our mind, being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word. And sometimes we just get scared of things that we shouldn't be. Even things that are blessings from God. The Israelites... They said, yes, this is the relationship we want. But the truth is, they were terrified when God shows up. In Exodus chapter 20, it begins with God coming down, just like he said he was going to. And he's going to have a conversation with Moses, but all the people are going to hear it. And there's thunder and lightning and earthquake and the sound of trumpets. It sounds kind of chaotic, but I, I, it's God, so I, I don't know exactly what to expect, but it, it would, had to have been awe-inspiring. And then he lists the Ten Commandments. If you flip to chapter 20, you'll see them. You know, he talks about, don't have any other gods before me. You should not make a, an idol. Don't misuse my name. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You sh should not murder. You, you shall not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. And don't covet. The first four are about the people's relationship to God. The last six are about the people's relationship to each other influenced by their relationship with God. Guess what? In the New Testament, Jesus basically uses that as an outline. He was asked, what's the most important commandment to God? Is it, oh, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the Shema. And, he says, and the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. First one comes from the book of Deuteronomy. The second one comes from the book of Leviticus. He says, yeah, this is what my daddy says. See, the Ten Commandments, we can look at them as these like strict laws. This is the way it's got to be. Or this is a loving father who says, these are the boundaries of my relationship with you. I'm asking you to live in these. But the almighty, powerful God says these, being God, and it terrifies them. And their response, which takes place down like verse 18, uh, Moses, you know what? This was working better before when you were telling us what God said, you know, all the exercise going up and down the mountain. 
Let's go back to that because if we hear God speak anymore, we will die. And Moses says, don't fear. Don't fear. God is testing you so that you'll understand what a faithful relationship will be like. So that you won't sin. So that you will live for him. He's saying decisions made in fear will make you cower. Decisions made in faith reveal God's power. It sounds strict and intimidating. And to a lot of the world, that's what they're thinking. That that's who God is. But the truth is, if we prepare our hearts to be ready to receive his message, we'll be better able to respond to him. So how are you preparing today to hear from God? What steps are you taking to respond to him? Because we don't need to just stop at preparedness. We need to listen and obey. I love words. I love studying the history of words. I love exploring how we get them. And listen and obey in English, these are two very different words. In Latin, you got something else going on, which is kind of interesting. We get audio, auditory, listening from the word audere. We also get the word obey from that same word. In God's view, there's no difference. See, an obedient life, what he's calling the people of Israel to and what he's calling us to, an obedient life is lived by listening closely to what God is saying through his word and through his Holy Spirit. That's, that's what an obedient life is. Moses knew this. Moses had been shaped by God since the burning bush. Moses had been living in a way that was obedient to God as closely as he could because the thing God was asking him to do, he couldn't do on his own. And so he leaned in and he listened closely. The people desperately needed that. The people who were terrified by the voice of God asking, Moses, be in between us. I think inadvertently they're also asking for something else that's very special. A mentor. A disciple. Somebody to help them process. That is another spiritual practice. It takes some humility. But it's important. In my life, the first person I ever asked to be my disciple, his name is Bill Starr. I met him in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I just saw Jesus in him. I didn't understand why he was so good, so nice. I was already Christian, but I just knew I wasn't a very good Christian. I still question it sometimes. Being real. The truth is, though, for three years, when I asked him, will you mentor me? For three years, he sacrificed Saturday mornings to meet with me over coffee at Starbucks. He wouldn't even let me pay most of the time. And I learned about these spiritual practices I was telling you about through him, about how to, to reflect on what God had been doing in my life, preparing to meet with God. And my fear of God started to disappear. And I started to be able to listen and obey more effectively. We all need that in our lives. There's another word out of Latin I want to tell you about. And then we'll be just about done. The word is sardis. 
It's where we get the word absurd. It's also where we get the word deaf. Now, I'm not saying that deaf people are absurd. Absolutely not. But you want to know what absurd living is? Absurd living is when we remain deaf to the voice of God. When we allow fear to keep us to be inactive. When we allow our life to be wasted not seeking the affirmation of our Heavenly Father. Because it's there. It's there in His Word. It's, it's there through His Spirit. It's there through other brothers and sisters in Christ who speak that into our lives. And we desperately need it. See, we, we have a very good Heavenly Father. And He wants to pour His grace into our lives wherever we're at. For some of you, you maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. And your life is, is one that, you know, you know what it is to be a follower of Jesus. But you also know maybe, maybe there's some things that God is inviting you into that you haven't been paying attention to. Maybe you haven't been remembering and reflecting on what he has for you. Maybe you just haven't spent time preparing your heart and mind through spiritual practices like engaging God's word to be shaped by him to listen and obey. But you need to do that because there are so many people that are terrified of God and they need your example. So if that's you, that's, that's your invitation today. But also, it could very well be that you're here. Maybe you've tried to follow after God in those footsteps. Maybe you've, you've wanted to remember and reflect on what he's done. You just didn't know what that might be. Maybe you know you've just been scared to respond. You don't have to be scared anymore. Jesus wants to give you his own spirit and put it inside you. And it is not a spirit of fear, but one of power, one of self-discipline. He wants to give you himself so that you can experience the love of that good, good father that we have in heaven. He's inviting you to take that step. We're going to stand and sing. I'm going to be down front. Another of the pastors will be down here with me. And if you need to make a decision, please, whatever it is, come forward. We're going to be here to pray with you. Whatever that next step is, we'll walk with you.